All right, so we started, we started this series, um, Power Trip, a few weeks ago, and today we are going to wrap it up um, and put a bow on it. Yeah, because it's, see? Okay. All right, all right, all right. Well, when we started this series uh, several weeks ago, uh, we made the discovery that all of us, every single person with no exception, has some area or arena in life in which they have power. Um, and this was a revelation to some of us because when we think of powerful people, um, we think of people who are more powerful than us. Um, we start at us with the idea of nothing and then everybody more powerful than us. They're the powerful ones. Um, we aren't. And I had people tell me after the first week, be like, wow, I never thought that I had power, but once you made us write out on those little cards, um, you know, I realized, man, there are places that I have power in my life and, and people discover things. If you're, if you're a spouse, if you're a parent, if you're a boss, if you're a manager, if you're an employee, if you're a sibling, if you're a coach, if you're a consumer, if you're a voter, if you're a teacher, like there's power in all of your positions there's power to be had. And there's so many more than just that list. Um, it, it's really endless. And in every different stage of life that you have, your arena of power will shift. There may be some areas and some time in life that you've got power in an area and then it goes away and you find it in other areas. And then we ask the question the week after that, why, why, would, why would God give us power? Why would we do that? And we discovered that all power is indeed given and because it's given, it's a stewardship and it's temporary. We've only got it for a little time because eventually, no matter what arena your power is in, someone will take that power from you or you will move on from that power. And then we looked at an extraordinary passage where Jesus demonstrated what it is that you're supposed to do when you look around and realize you are the most powerful person in the room um, and, and to wrap this series up, what I want to do is I want to look at an event that couples extraordinary power with extraordinary humility. And all of us have met people who are extraordinarily humble, but they didn't seem to have any power. And we've definitely all met people who were extremely powerful and had zero humility whatsoever. But if you come across a person who's able to take those two things and put them together, then you find somebody who is absolutely amazing. And those two things put together may be the most powerful combination that we have in our lives. And we've talked previously, we talked previously about the temptation of power, that we wanna use our power to maintain our power and to perhaps even widen the scope of our power. And the more power that you assume, the more power you have financially, uh, relationally, in your career, whatever arena, the more power you gain, the harder it is to practice humility. In fact, there's some areas where you can get so much that it's dang near impossible. And so today I wanna look at a passage of scripture that takes this idea of combining power and humility and kind of condenses it um, down and puts it together possibly better than any other passage in the scripture. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Philippians. We're going to be in chapter two. And in this, this passage is written by a guy who became a Christian after the events of Jesus's death and resurrection. And he looks back on Jesus and, and he, he looks back and he, and he pens these words. 
And he writes these words and these words are so theologically rich that there are entire books dedicated to the idea that's in this passage. And if we look in the book of Acts, um, which is basically the story of what happened after Jesus left, the story of how the message began to spread. If you're not a Bible reader, start in Acts. That's a good place to start because it's in story form and it'll kind of get you caught up on things that are going on. But, but an extraordinary thing happen, happens. Jesus meets with his disciples and those who were close to him during his time on earth and during his ministry. And he basically looks at them and he says, I'm going to empower you with the power that I had so that when I'm gone, you can do what it is that I did. And then a few weeks, wait, a few weeks later, the scripture tells us that most of those people were gathered in a room and they were physically empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is a conversation we'll have another day about all of that. But they were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they, they, they walked out into the streets of Jerusalem where Jesus had been public enemy number one and where he had just been crucified a few weeks earlier. And they began to proclaim the message. And what they proclaimed was not Jesus was a good person. It wasn't he did good things or he taught good things. It was that he was from God. And you killed him. <laughs> he pointed at some of the people and said, and they're looking at him and they're like, man, you guys are nuts. I mean, we just killed the guy. We just got done killing the guy that was leading your little thing. Now here you are all empowered. What in the world's going on? But instead of considering them crazy, the, the scriptures tells us that thousands of people in Jerusalem believed and joined them and embraced Jesus as the Messiah. And some of you are sitting here thinking, Andy, I think you're a little confused because see, it's December now. This is Christmas time. It sounds like you're talking about Easter things. Like you've got the wrong holiday. You've got it all mixed up. And I know, I know, I know. And I promise we're gonna get to the Christmas stuff next week. It'll be all festive and we'll enjoy it and we'll sing a Christmas song and it'll be great, right? But it is vitally important as we enter the Christmas season, it is vitally important for us to remember exactly who it is that we are getting ready to celebrate the arrival of, and it wasn't just a baby in a manger. So back to the people in the streets who became new believers when they saw these crazy guys running around saying these things. Thousands joined the movement. All of a sudden the disciples found themselves in high demand, right? Because there was this aha moment that the people had and they're like, oh man, the Messiah came and we missed him. And so the next best thing is these people who were close to him these men and these women who were part of his ministry and who spent time with him. Like that's the closest that we can get. And now all of a sudden these people found themselves being sought after with thousands of followers. And this all happened quite literally overnight. And they found themselves with power and influence and the ability to leverage what they now had. And you know what they did with their power? They did exactly what Jesus modeled for them to do. They did exactly what Jesus did and they leveraged their power, not for their own agenda, not for their own gain, not for their own advancement or enrichment. They leveraged it for God's agenda. In fact, one of the strongest arguments for the resurrection 
is those who were close to Jesus, what they did after the resurrection, because they didn't do what most people would do. I mean, it would have been so easy if you all of a sudden found yourself popular with followers be like, mm, we need to figure out a way to take an offering and I need to figure out a way to be able to get at that offering. And then we know there's a lot of things I need done. I can tell people to do it. And they're just, and we, our head gets big and big and there's, there's the temptation to utilize the power, but they didn't do it. They didn't leverage it for their own sake. They didn't build little personal kingdoms around themselves. And man, if you look at American culture and you look at American Christians, there are a whole lot of individual kingdoms built around ourselves that we are the center of and everything flows from it. But they didn't do that. And one of the reasons that the gospel spread so quickly is because those guys learned the night that Jesus willingly gave up his power when he was the most powerful person in the room to wash their feet, they got it. And they realized we are not to leverage this power for ourselves. We are to use it to elevate those who are around us. So the challenge to us is this, is that when, when we look at the way that his close followers leverage their power, we've got to look at ourselves and we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, I have power, but do I have humility? I have influence but do I have humility? And what would happen in our environments? What would happen if we chose to use the influence and the power that God gave us to leverage it and to use it and couple it with humility? And this is one of the lessons of the cross and of the empty tomb. The cross, which is an icon of humility. There were no proud people on a cross. And the empty tomb, which is probably the ultimate icon of power. And when power is coupled with humility, it may be the most powerful thing of all. So finally to Philippians, where I told you we would be today. And my insight and explanation of this passage are gonna be inadequate. And so I hope, I just pray that God's able to take my words and make it click for you a little better than I'll be able to make it to. But here's how Paul summarizes this whole idea. Chapter two, beginning in verse three, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now I could have a stop here and just spend the rest of the time just drilling down on this singular idea, but I won't. But if you're a follower of Jesus, perhaps this is one of those verses that should be taped to your mirror in the morning. So that every day when you're brushing your teeth, you are reminded I am not to do anything out of selfish ambition. If you don't brush your teeth every morning, I'm not sure I can help you. Okay, Andy, I get it. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Okay, okay. Rather, in humility, there's our word, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself, which when I read that, I want to automatically qualify it. Whoa, 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 okay, which others? There's a whole lot of others. Paul, Paul, which, are you going to qualify that? Certainly, certainly you don't mean all the others, right? That certainly you mean certain others. And this verse literally means to look around and figure out what it would look like if you were to treat people as if they were actually better 
than you. That's, that's none of our approach. <laughs> and if that is your approach and you've mastered that, you, you need my job. Because I haven't mastered it. In fact, I fail at this on a regular basis. Paul's saying, I want you to treat others. Paul, can you qualify that, please? No. Jesus didn't qualify it when he said neighbors, and you all wanted qualification then. He's not going to qualify who that is. I'm not qualifying others. Treat others as if they are better than you. Paul, how do I do that? He would say, good question. I'm glad you asked. He said, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. There's that word again, others, 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 others. Certainly you don't mean I'm supposed to consider everybody else's thing more important than my thing, Paul. You know, certainly you don't mean I'm supposed to express as much interest as what's going on in everybody else's life as I have in what's going on in my own life. Surely, Paul, you don't literally mean that I am supposed to live my life as if other people are more important than myself. Well, since you asked the question, Paul clears it up for us. He says, in your relationships with one another, all right, you want to you know? Here's how your relationship should be. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, which on the surface makes sense, right? If we're followers of Jesus, shouldn't we try to have the same mindset of Jesus? Shouldn't we follow his examples? I mean, that seems like a pretty simple, straightforward verse. Wasn't that? We would all probably agree with that. And then Paul says, oh, okay, I'm glad you agree. Now, let me explain how he leveraged his power. And remember, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. He said, I have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God, meaning Jesus was the equivalent of God. They were one. And he kept saying things all the time. He kept saying things that would, that, would, that would equate himself to God. And it got him in trouble with the religious leaders. Eventually it made him so angry that they crucified him. But Paul says, being in very nature with God, being equivalent to God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And that's incredible. We can't read past that verse too quickly. That means that even though he was divine, even though he had all authority, even though he had all power, he never pulled the God lever. He never played the God card, pushed the God button, whatever the God trigger you want to be. <laughs> he never accessed it. He never did. He never leveraged his divinity for his own selfish purposes and desires. He never went into a restaurant that was busy full and said, hmm, I want that table. But sir, there's somebody at that table. I'm God. He never did that. He didn't go to Disney World and say, oh, yeah, look at all those people waiting in line for hours. I'm going to the front of the line. Sir, you can't do that. I'm God. Oh. He never said, officer, you shouldn't write that ticket. Well, you were speaking. I'm God. Never. He never leveraged it. There was never a time when he was in a situation 
And he said, I want that person out of here. Well, why? I'm God. It's not how he operated. Never once did he leverage who he was for his own interest and his own gain. Never once, but we do it all the time, all the time. Man, how many times have you leveraged your position? No matter how small your power was, you found a way to leverage it for your own gain. I know I sure have. Man, I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh man, there's so many examples. I'll go with an example from when I was a kid because then that's not as embarrassing because all kids are idiots. Man, I grew up, my dad was a pastor. I used to run around like I own that building. People try to tell me to not do something. I'm, my dad's the pastor. He's like the king of this building. You do not tell the king's son no. And I did what I wished. God, what an idiot I was when I was younger. Some of you may argue, you still are. But okay, I'm not gonna, I won't argue. But we all do it. I've been here longer. I have seniority. I make more. Look at the car I drive. Look at the house I live in. I'm better. And we take whatever area of power and leverage that we have and we use it to elevate ourselves. And Paul says, no, no, no. Looking back on Jesus's life and his words, having spent time with the people who were close to him and knew him well, hmm, even though he had every right to because he was God, hmm, he never did it. He never elevated himself because of who he was. Paul keeps going. He says, rather... He made himself nothing. And the little Greek phrase here is really cool because it literally means he emptied himself of self, which is a great little phrase because self is that thing that causes problems in your marriage. Self is that thing that causes fractures in relationships. Self is that thing that causes conflict at work all the time. Self is that thing that wedges itself between the things that you need in your life because you can't uncenter yourself. That's what self is. And Paul's saying, yeah, that whole thing, Jesus emptied himself of it. Emptied himself of self. In other words, he never made everything about him the way that we make everything about us. So rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And Paul was right, when he's writing this, he's like, listen, Jesus looked so much like a person that everybody thought he was a person. And he was truly human in the sense that he was vulnerable to the draw and the temptations of using the power that he had in a wrong way that he could be taken advantage of. And he played not just the role of a person, he played the role of a servant while playing the role of a person. That is what Jesus decided to do with his power. And being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself. Meaning he let go of everything. Everything that he deserved, everything he could have justifiably taken for himself. He let go of it all. 
and he put others first. How did he do that? By becoming obedient to death. Now, this is huge. Some of us won't even humble ourselves to the point of losing a deal or maybe risking a, a promotion. Some of us, we can't even humble ourselves. Like sometimes when you're like going to, you're walking to get in the line and out of the corner of your eye, you see somebody else heading for the line too. And you kind of don't make eye contact. So they don't know that you're getting ready to race them and you kind of speed up. You get there right before them. Then you're like, oh, oh, didn't see you. I didn't see you there. I I didn't mean to kind of shove in here. Yeah, sure. Can't even humble ourselves and let ourselves, let other people in line first. It gets worse. Hey, all of you who have road rage, that would be me. That'd be Andy. A lot of others of you, I'm sure. All of you. You get so angry because people don't obey the rules of the road and they come in on your space and they're just doing things wrong and they're wronging you. And Okay, maybe they do, but don't you dare tell me that you haven't been in an instance where you're pulling up and you're like, oh, I need over. Well, maybe if I just don't look while I'm doing it and pull over, then it can be an accident and you crammed your way into somebody else's life. Don't tell me you haven't done it. Because no, to humble ourselves and think, oh, well, I guess I couldn't make it up that far that fast in this lane. So now I should slow down and wait for the cars to pass. And get, no, we don't humble ourselves. <sighs> Ram ourselves into people's lives. No humility. That's just not how we operate. Listen, most of us are so adverse to humility that we either can't or have extreme problems saying sorry when we did something wrong. The number of people who do not have the ability to let the words, I'm sorry, come out of their mouths is phenomenal because we do not humble ourselves. And all of those things I just talked about, those are all trivial. Like those aren't even major things. And Paul says, look, Jesus didn't just let somebody cut in line in front of him. He didn't just let somebody have the biggest piece of steak on the plate. That's not, what he, that's not what he did. No, he humbled himself to the point of death. And then just to remind everybody how humble Jesus was, he throws in this phrase, even death on a cross, which was a humiliating way to die. Nobody wanted, there was no honor in that death. You didn't even get a proper burial. You were thrown over a hill to rot. That is what your savior did with his power. And when extraordinary humility is combined with extraordinary power, it is the most powerful thing of all. And if you spend much time reading the Bible or spend much time thinking about this whole thing, you're gonna eventually get to the question of why? Why did Jesus do that? Was it just to set a good example for us to follow? Well, yeah, that's, that's part of it. But he did it to bridge the gap between us and God. To bridge the gap that we know because of what Jesus did, we know we are okay with God. And we know God is okay with us. And it doesn't matter who you are, you have felt that gap at one point or another. You've gone through periods where you felt disconnected 
And even if on an intellectual level, you don't buy into the whole God thing and it's okay, whatever, whatever. It's just people doing what they need to do to get through life or whatever. And if you, you, you know, you're smart enough that if you have a conversation or an argument with a person of faith, you can destroy their arguments and defenses every time. But you, you, you still know that when you lay down at night and stare at the ceiling, you still know that you don't know. And that there's a gap that you feel and that hits there. There's a distance, there's a mystery and it's universal. Everybody feels it. And the dilemma that God had was this. If God were to continue to retain all that he deserved, then we would spend all of our lives, generation after generation wondering, am I good enough? Can I possibly measure up? Have I possibly done enough to somehow get myself into God's good graces? And we would be wondering, and the only way to break the power of sin and hopelessness was not for us to move in God's direction because we could never move far enough. It was for God to move into ours. And God chose to move into our direction by sending Christ to earth. There it is, Christmas. You all wondered when I was getting there. When Jesus was here, he gave away all his power. Why? To reconcile us to God. And the reason that Jesus refused to pull rank and the reason that he refused to do anything out of self-interest and the reason that he emptied himself of self and the reason that he allowed himself to be manhandled and nailed to a cross and the reason that he ex uh, exhibited that extraordinary ability was because of an extraordinary love for you and for me. And that's what he did with his power. And so the question has to be asked, what are you gonna do with yours? What am I gonna do with mine? And all of a sudden, when Paul says, don't look out for your interest, don't try and leverage situations and power for your gain, but look out for the interests of others. If we are Christ followers, we have lost all excuses to not do that. And when he says, consider others better than yourself, we as Christ followers have lost all excuses that we have to qualify or to disqualify others because others are Everyone, everyone. But when we choose to humble ourselves from a position of power, we can change the world around us. Imagine how different your life would be, your job, your marriage, your relationships. Imagine how different the culture around you would be if we as Christians could grab a hold of this principle. Yes, we have some measure of power. It is always to be paired with humility. Humility. Interestingly, I was reminded of, of this idea this week. And I'm pretty sure he timed this so it would go at the ending of the sermon series, but H.W. Bush died this week. And I was looking through some of the things that people were writing about him and whatnot. And I came across a quote and I'm like, did he really say that? Didn't, didn't. And if there's ever a position in which one is tempted to leverage power for their own power. I, I would imagine <laughs> the presidency of the United States would be about the epitome of that position. Um, 
And here, because when you look at a position like presidency, man, that's about as close to God in our culture as you could get. There's, it's easy to surround yourself with nobody that'll tell you no, and pretty much anything you say goes. And, and there was a quote from when he was office, in office that I read, extraordinary. He said, for we are given power, not to advance our own purposes, nor to make a great show in the world, nor a name. There is but one use of power, and it is to serve people. Now, he wasn't a perfect president, and he didn't have perfect policies. But I think overall, he did a pretty good job of living that idea out. Um, perhaps he did about as good of a job as anybody given that much power might possibly be able to do. And you may not ever be president one day. But you'll, you'll be in power over somebody. God's given you a measure of power in your life. And you see what Jesus did with his. So what are you going to do with yours? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for the example that we have in the person of Jesus. I, I, I thank you for the preservation of these writings that give us insight into these things. And Lord, I, I pray that as we go out this week, Lord, that we are hyper aware of the power and influence that we carry. Lord, I, I pray that you, you make it obvious to us when we begin to flex that power, when we begin to leverage it for our own gain. Lord, when we begin to disqualify other people for whatever reasons we come up with, Lord, let there be alarms that go off in the back of our head that make us aware of what we're doing that we are not humbling ourselves, that we are not putting other people in front of ourselves, that we are centering ourselves in our own little kingdom. And by doing so, we are misusing the power that you have given us. Lord, help us to make the environment around us better. Help us to elevate people around us Help those who come into contact with us to be better off for it because we chose to couple whatever measure of power you gave us with humility and to consider others first. Lord, this is challenging, this is difficult, and we're gonna fail a lot, but Lord, do not let us get comfortable in our failure. Continue to push us to follow the example of Christ. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out next week. I promise Christmas. It's